0: The following lecture was produced by the Rhode Island Student Assistance Services with funding from the Rhode Island Department of Health. Welcome to the Rhode Island Youth Mental Health Webinar Series. This week's topic, grief in school-aged populations, new considerations for educators and guardians during COVID. Remember, your feedback is important to us. Fill out the survey in the description below for your chance to win a $100 gift card. Thank you. Hey everybody, Uh, my name is Michelle Crossley and I'm here to talk to you all about grief and how we can work better to recognize symptoms of grief um, as well as look at some additional considerations of grief and loss during COVID, especially when working with students. Just to give you a little bit of background on myself, I am a faculty member at Rhode Island College in the Clinical Mental Health Counseling Program and my dissertation for my PhD program was around grief and loss, death and dying. It was particularly looked at through a lens of pet loss and human bereavement. However, in order to better understand pet loss and human bereavement, I needed to dig deeper into human loss and bereavement and grief and how that can look a lot different depending on attachment style and cultural expectations. I will say that I'm doing this from home, just as a lot of you all are, so please pardon any noises that you might hear. We're working best to reduce any distractions. As we get started, just wanted to review some of these learning objectives that were submitted. I want to, at the end of this program, for everybody to have a better sense about some grief responses and looking at them developmentally according to the age of the individual who is dealing with the grief and loss and also talk about the stigma that's associated with openly grieving and the types of losses that we're able to grieve. There's a lot of disenfranchised grief within the U.S. and within our cultural expectations and experiences of death, dying, and loss. I also want you all to take some time to think about how we can recognize subtle symptoms maybe that our children are telling us, they're showing us, they might be saying it to us without saying I'm hurt, I'm sad. So really hopeful that you can look at some of these signs and and develop some really great questions to ask the children that you're working with. We want to also destigmatize open expressions of grief. This is true in lots of different types of grief and loss that You know, we are not able to openly grieve, and, you know, determining how we can openly grieve or what's socially acceptable in terms of grief can vary depending on a lot of the um, overlapping identities that an individual has and owns. And then also provide you all with some strategies to talk about grief and loss, not just in the classroom, but also at home. And then also providing with some resources for you all, which I'll include as an attachment. So really looking at how do we how do we develop steps that can better equip our students and our faculty and our staff and our guardians and our children and how to openly talk about this in a way that's embracing and empathetic and nurturing so that we can continue to talk about grief and loss and, and help to destigmatize it in in our culture. It's important that we first start with an overview of some terminology that is used interchangeably. You know, bereavement is a process. If I look at how all of these things are interconnected, bereavement is more so the process of adjusting to a loss. Grief is an emotional response, and that's earlier in the stages of bereavement, and no person grieves the same way, so it could also be later in bereavement. And then mourning are those actions or behaviors that we engage in that are culturally accepted customs and rituals after an important loss. There is a lot of stigma, I'm gonna touch upon some stigma right now, that adults believe that children aren't capable of thinking deeply about issues of loss and death and dying. And they don't believe or, or make an assumption that, children cannot understand spiritual questions around life and death. And I would challenge that as to is this something that is talked about openly? Is it cultural practice to talk about life after death and and how we move on after important losses? So I think that that's definitely culturally based. The other thought is that you know, I think while we might live or, or our lived experience and our understanding of grief and loss and, and children in particular is that they don't understand, you know, we need to think back to mass media. We need to think back to different movies and, and cartoons and storybooks. Children everywhere will be exposed to a much wider range of ideas around life and death than they would have been in the past. So while it's important that we understand, yes, we're trying to keep our children innocent and not have them exposed to as much grief, loss and trauma in their everyday lives, that it's there, it's out there, it's in the news, it's in the storybooks, it's everywhere. And Irvin Yalom in 1980 noted a marked discrepancy between the importance of death to the child and the attention accorded death in child development scholarship so this isn't something that is overly studied. We can make certain hypotheses about how a child will manage and resolve grief and, and of an important loss according to their development, their, their human growth and development and theories around that. But up until the 80s and, and really even, even more so now, it's not studied as deeply. Um, We make certain assumptions and understandings and hypotheses based on what we know about human development in general, and we apply it to grief and loss. So next, I want to talk a little bit about what can we grieve? It's almost this assumption that if it's not death, it's not something that I can actively grieve, and that's not true. There's no one way to grieve and there's no one thing that we can grieve about. We can grieve the loss of an important sports team. Um, I think that we see that more so socially acceptable than grieving the loss of a death or thinking about COVID times, you know, so many of us have lost the sense of normalcy and whatever normalcy looks like for us as that is completely up to the person who's, who's speaking from that truth. But we've also seen friendships, right? Relationships, thinking about the political climate as well. You know, we can grieve the loss of a pet, we can grieve the loss of a routine, our children might not want to be willing to admit it, but maybe they miss doing homework in the way that they used to, or maybe they miss doing worksheets and having to be on the computer all the time. So routines got messed up, school environments, all of those things, there was a loss, there was a sense of community sense of belongingness and now we had to turn everything to something more virtual. This is just one of the stigmas or, or myths about grief is that we can only grieve the loss due to death. and even when we have loss due to death, there are still stigmas. There's no right right or wrong way to grieve however, we will make judgment on somebody that they're not getting over it soon enough or well that's just silly you know you you know that we'll be back to school anytime now. Why are you grieving this? Outside of the death of a loved one or a family member in our society, all other expressions of grief are not seen as justified. And that's what we call disenfranchised grief, meaning that, you know, you you get a lot of those comments that are meaning to be empathetic and caring and concerning and considerate, but it just falls short. We see disenfranchised grief a lot when we're talking about pet loss. Um, and that's obviously like I shared my dissertation is in pet loss and I also volunteer for the Association for pet loss and and Bereavement. And so we do a lot of work there on validating that type of loss and and it's a space really for individuals to go to so that they feel as though, their experiences being validated as real and impactful and hard. But what happens when we have disenfranchised grief is it leaves so many individuals to not sharing, not sharing what they're feeling, suffering in silence, so to speak, due to fear of being judged or this idea that somebody's not going to understand, nobody can be empathetic to my needs. So I want us to think about, especially within. The, what we're talking about times of COVID, that we're, we're looking at important losses, okay? We're not necessarily always talking about death, though, as we know, we have lost so many individuals due to COVID. I think it's important to look at some of the developmental models or the stages and understanding grief, And so I'm going to go back to one of the first ones that was written about, that was processed, that was put together. And this is the Kubler-Ross model of grief. Um, This is one that I think that so many people understand or think of um, are these five stages of grief when we're talking about grief, mourning, and loss. So this first model describes five stages that an individual will encounter when experiencing a loss and their denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. This outline is provided about the specific stages. And just know that they're there as an informational source only. And not to say it's everybody has to go through these things in the same order for the same amount of time. It's not not prescriptive. So While we're looking at the reactions that somebody might be having due to an important loss, we don't want to say, oh, well, it's not really impacting them because they don't have depression and and they're supposed to have depression. So I I want you to think about it as moving away from prescribing that these are the stages that an individual will go through when they're mourning a loss. These are some stages that they might go through. As I also shared, there's no one way to grieve. So somebody might be going through anger a little bit more. Um, They might go back to denial. They might go bargain and then back to anger. There's no one way. The amount of time that somebody will spend in the stages, there's no one way there. Not everybody, I shared this already, not everybody will experience all of the stages in, in that order. And this is really... I. I appreciate Kubler-Ross's work because she believes that this is an individual process and she wrote about that. And I believe that that is to be culturally responsive and understanding that there are so many individual differences with how one will manage and deal and resolve a loss that we we should really avoid being super prescriptive. So it wasn't an assumption that everybody will do all of these things at the same time in the same order. And we also can look at grief in this model of grief in particular in relation to an emotional response to trauma. So it's not always looked at in terms of human death. Grieving process and attachment theory from Bowlby are intertwined and they recognize the way in which people make strong bonds with another and acknowledging the emotional reactions that can result when these bonds are broken. So maybe it's not even with another, but it's with that routine. Okay, Um, And there's a strong connection, maybe not an attachment, but thinking about attachment, we look at safety and security. So a routine can resemble safety and security for an individual. And as we know with COVID, so many routines went away. And so therefore, there might have been the sense of I'm not safe anymore. I don't know where to turn to, to feel secure. And so therefore we might've been experiencing or or observing individuals having a difficult time and really, like I said, grieving the loss of a routine because that was how they understood themselves to be safe and secure. Another theoretical model or theory about grief and loss is Warden. Um, And Warden actually looked through and, and focused on children as well. So Warden provides a framework of four tasks that help us understand how individuals journey through grief and loss. Healing happens gradually. I think we can all sit back and think about an important loss or an important relationship. And while it hurt really, really bad at the beginning, you know, that pain lessened over time. Um, So healing happens gradually as individuals who are grieving address these four tasks. These tasks happen in, again, no specific order. They could go back and forth and you can go back and forth and back and forth. Like you can repeat some of these steps or tasks. So the first task recognizes that you intellectually know that the relationship with whatever you have lost is gone. So you might experience some sense of disbelief. Integrating reality of the loss means taking it in with all of your being, with all of who you are. So an example would be a reality might begin to set in immediately after a loss, and you must call and make different plans. You might be starting to organize or structure a, a celebration of life or 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 some other event, and then make arrangements to finalize the process. So if we're talking about human death, you have to call the mortuary, you have to attend a memorial, or pick up ashes. Then what happens is many weeks, months, or years later, when an occasion arises that you would have to be a part of, the reality hits you again, or the event where the person who you have lost would need to be a part of the reality of this loss hits you again as you realize that that person isn't there anymore, okay? And they aren't there to share moments with you anymore. And so we have to accept that reality, right? The reality that this this thing is gone or this person is gone and they're not coming back. So I have to accept that reality even though it might come up again in the future. The second task of processing the pain of the grief We understand and recognize that grief is experienced not just emotionally, but cognitively in our thoughts, physically, spiritually, and culturally responsive. So people might tell somebody who is grieving, get over it, move on, be strong. In contrast, one of the aims of grief support groups is to encourage and facilitate safe expressions of these natural grief reactions. Okay, so processing with support, you might even think about staying away from those who might be disenfranchising your experiences. The third task, according to Warden, is to adjust, make certain adaptations to your world and your life, um, and just substitute the word deceased with whatever it is that's been lost. So external adjustments include taking on different responsibilities and learning new skills, and some internal adjustments are made to how you adapt, how you find yourself into this new identity. Spiritual adjustments occur as applicable for for your life and your cultural background and identity, but those adjustments occur as an individual will grapple or ask questions about their belief system. And to the purpose and meaning of life. So there's where some existential work comes in, like what is the purpose of life if we're just here to feel this pain, you know, um, and helping to deeper integrate that understanding. The final task, according to Warden, or the fourth task, I, I won't say final because we can go in and out of these different tasks to find an enduring connection with whatever was lost in the midst of embarking on a new life. So gradually we're going to create a balance between remembering what was lost and living a full and meaningful life. And again, that seems very existential purpose of life. What does everything mean? Though it it does help us acknowledge, especially when we're talking about death and dying, it helps us acknowledge that we are also have mortality and we need to one day come to terms with that. So what does the stage, what do the stages of grief look like? And I, I, it, Edited this to the COVID edition. So, denial as we're living through, you know, being uprooted from our routines, from our schedules, having to adjust to working from home, learning from home, helping uh, kids do their homework, stay focused in school, right? All of those things. We hear denial in, I can't believe this is happening. It doesn't affect me. The virus isn't anywhere near us. I'm not old. So, I don't have to worry about this. I'm immune. Anger, my parents and other adults are overreacting. It's ridiculous that I can't see my friends. Bargaining, all right, all right. I'll do this for two weeks, two weeks only. Then that's it. Depression and or or despair. I don't know when, when it's going to end. I'm experiencing the grief of what's happening now. I'm also anticipating all the things I might have to miss. Things will never go back to normal. And then acceptance. Despite what's happening, I can do something every day to feel better and find new and creative ways to connect while I wait this out. So, that's just some of the things that you might have heard from friends, from family members, from children in school, students, teachers, what have you. These are some of the things that you might have heard. And I think that, you know, when we were all thrust into uh, living a new life and a new lifestyle, that we were all grappling with this shock, right? It was, it was very shocking for some of us that, wait, I can't do these things that I used to, and, and what does this look like for me? Or having to cancel vacation plans, right? It was right around the time of February vacation and April vacation, and those plans had to go away. So there might've been a lot of representation, and you might've seen a lot in terms of the Kubler-Ross stages of grief, looking at it from through a COVID lens. More so in understanding grief, there's another process. It's the dual process model, and it understands that grief is a process in which a bereaved individual or grieving person moves back and forth between two orientations to use coping skills that help them resolve their grief. So it looks at a loss orientation where coping refers to the person's acceptance of suffering um, and involves the grief work. When we're looking at the restoration orientation, coping refers to attempts to sort through various life changes and find ways to cope with these changes. It also provides respite or distraction from suffering. So this is, as you can see, right, it's part of that. This hurts. Ooh, I need to go over to this other side. And then, okay, I feel okay now. And now I need to go back to this loss orientation and, oh, that hurts again. So now I need to go back over to restoration. So you're not gonna bounce back and forth through all of these things, but these are just some orientation uh, themes that we can look for when we're working with kids and and getting a better understanding as to how they're dealing with, how they're managing these important losses. Next, I wanna turn to understanding of how individuals might react to death and loss or grief based on their developmental understanding of grief and i want you to think about it from that perspective there are overlapping age ranges here that you will see and here are some ways in which we believe that children um, understand death. and as i said i want anytime you're thinking about something outside of death Just substitute death with loss, okay? Just that's all I'm asking Substitute death with loss. And I think you'll have a better understanding as to how do we take this and shift and move it into COVID, whether it's routine or whether it's hanging out with friends or whatever that looks like. The important piece is how one explains death or loss to a child and and adequate ways to resolve that grief. It intervenes with them um, and their grief depends on the child's developmental stage. If you're working with a two-year-old, You know, they don't understand that death is a final process. They might not understand what it means. And a lot of times I think as adults, we use these different metaphors like, or euphemisms. So they're just going to sleep and they're in a better place and things like that. While we're trying to help a a kid not have to deal with the reality of life and death, that we're not really helping them understand that death is final. Okay. So the age and developmental stage might affect the nature of the child's emotional response to death or loss, their understanding of death or loss, and the ability to deal with death or loss. Children's immature cognitive development can also interfere with their understanding about irreversibility, universality, and the inevitability of death. So just keep those things in mind. We should not, again, expect a three-year-old to grieve and understand death and loss the same way that an 11-year-old will. So in those earlier ages, you know, where we tend to see children who are living in maybe a fantasy world, magical thinking There's always a way that somebody gets revived or there's these missing notions of finality of loss. And therefore kids are, they see that, they embrace it. They watch it with their guardians, maybe have a conversation about it. And then they're just like, oh, that's just make-believe. So they might not show any outward signs of grief. And I will say that children, especially in their earlier development, will mimic and model after what's been provided to them. So if you're an individual as an adult who is living with children, your modeling matters, just like in a lot of different other aspects of life. But how you react to things is going to help the kids understand, this is how I'm supposed to deal with this thing. So if you avoid grieving and openly grieving, then your child might openly deny or or disengage from grieving openly. If you act in an animated way, especially when we're talking about changes and shutdowns and, and stressors that we're experiencing, having this dual role um, of having to serve multiple roles while trying to get our own work done from home with plenty of distractions, then you're, you're the kids that are around you, the children, the young people that are around you might also engage in that way and react in that way. So it's really important that we understand how we talk about loss and grief is providing a model experience for kids. Okay. As children get older, they understand that certain things are final. If we're talking about death in particular, as kids get older, they start to recognize like okay, so this person died and so not everybody lives all the time. And then they start to think about what about these important people around me? So as we're talking about the current pandemic, our children might have, or the students that you work with, might have been experiencing a lot more anxiety. They're seeing things on the news, especially those older older people, older kids. They're seeing a lot of death happening with the older population. And then that might make them feel some sense of anticipatory bereavement, even if there's no fear or no opportunity for grandparents, older siblings, older aunts and uncles, or family members, or people that they care about. So they they're not necessarily understanding that not everybody will contract the virus and some people will not survive the virus. So they might be experiencing, like I said, some anxiety and anticipation that they will experience this eventually. That's important to recognize is that some of the anxiety that somebody is feeling could be, in a way, almost setting the stage like, uh, this isn't happening now, but I have to be prepared for it. And I don't think that there's really a way that we can truly prepare for what we don't know yet. So what does grief look like? Especially when we're talking about within a school setting, we see there could be decline in performance, Maybe picking up newer materials is really hard, um, as it could be distracting. Now, I want to talk about this in perspective of the studies that I have found in um, the research that I found. We're all talking about death and dying. So what do children look like in the school if they have lost a parent or an important other adult? OK, so I want us to think about this globally. And say, while well, there can be many reasons of a decline in school performance during COVID, especially as there's switching between in-person and hybrid and virtual and, you know, one day you're in school, the next day there's a threat of a COVID exposure. So it makes sense that there could be other reasons as to why children are not performing as they were before COVID, that this could also be another reason why, right? Is that they're dealing with grief. And it's hard to manage the grief response and focus on these materials that they should be mastering according to standards and regulations that we see from the Department of Education. Other things that we have seen when a a kid is experiencing grief, clinginess could also be, it could be clinginess and it could be avoidance, right? A clinginess is, I need to be around you all the time so that I know that you're safe. Avoidance might look like everybody around me is is leaving and I don't want to develop this close relationship because I'm worried that when this relationship or this experience is gone, I then have to deal with this pain of this missing thing. So you will either going to see clinginess or avoidance. We might see some regression into earlier behaviors. You know, I need this attention or I don't know how to manage this right now with everything else that's happening. We could see some disturbances with sleep that can go hand in hand with anxiety and worry, angry tantrums, irritability. Those things are, as we understand children and how they exhibit specific behaviors, is there's almost like an emotional overload, right? There's this event that happened I don't know how to deal with it. And therefore, I'm just going to be angry because that's how I know how to draw attention. That's how I know to get how to get rid of some of this pent up anxiety, worry, or whatever the other thing is that that a child might be trying to not release. There are some specific standards, not standards, but suggestions on how to better support uh, children in terms of bereavement or or grief or loss. And according to the National Center for School Crisis and Bereavement, Students should be offered additional supports. And I think that we're doing a really great job right now of providing these supports to to children that are in the school system, recognizing that there's a lot going on. And while we want you to be supported and to feel as though you're making progress, that we also need to have some leeway here. So you could add additional tutoring or participating in mentoring to kids get back to where they should be or where they were before, not should be where they were before. So we we want to reduce additional stressors that could be happening for the kiddo. Thinking about attachment, which is that clinginess voice versus avoidance, a work on attachment patterns laid a foundation and all this research laid a foundation and a basic understanding for recognizing how detrimental the experience of loss can be for young children. So loss and separation, and it could have detrimental physical, emotional and spiritual effects. The other important thing, as we're talking about signs of grief in in children and, and some of these myths that we hear, is that within US society, children are referred to as the forgotten mourners. Children grieve, but they don't often get the opportunity to express their feelings openly. And once again, it's because I think we have we live in a death denying society where we can't talk about death and loss because it makes us think about all these losing moments or these painful experiences that we will feel when we lose something important to us. After a loss, children returning to school, it was challenging. School personnel and peers not knowing how to respond to the child once returning to school, you know, it's awkward. We haven't been around humans as much in the past year, and therefore it could be really awkward to understand and relearn social cues. And there's my friend and I really want to hug them, but I can't. Or, oh, I have the snack. Do you want some? Or even just thinking about what happens in school where sometimes kids are very giving like, oh, my friend didn't have a snack today and therefore I shared with them. And we need to recognize that that can create a lot of challenges for kids who are still learning social exchanges and, and how to really be a global citizen. So a lot of times kids can feel ignored, isolated, embarrassed, uncertain, and different. And even even though they, they have this belief that school gives them support and understanding. Studies have confirmed that adults who are unable to move through the tasks of grieving as children... Are at a significant risk for developing depression and anxiety. So it really is important that we take a moment to recognize these losses that children are experiencing, and help them make sense of it, and help them find adequate ways to express their grief and to cope with any loss that they're experiencing. I'm going to quickly review some uh, myths about children's grief, and just show you that they're they're you know myths. And then reality. So we know that children grieve, right? There's, they might be grieving their favorite candy, or, you know, they they're having eating their favorite thing. And then it's all gone and and ask for more. And Oh, sorry, we don't have any more, there might be a little bit of grief there. Granted, it's not to the level of grieving the loss of a human or important other, but, you know, there's still some grief there. So it's important that we recognize that kids do grieve. Kids also, children also experience plenty of losses. Routines, school friends, this idea of sporting events, anything, right? A special pet, classmate, relationship. They might lose their favorite toy. Right. And and then that is presents some some challenging emotions. Myth that adults want to protect children. Of course, we want to protect children, but we don't want to shelter them. And I think that we're not equipped. As I said, we don't talk enough about death, dying, and loss and grief. And therefore we feel inadequately prepared to talk to kids about this to talk to them about it in real terms and to not make stories about they just went to sleep or they're just in this place and they'll 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 always watch over us. Now, I recognize that that takes doesn't take into account spirituality. So, whatever your spiritual and cultural practices are and beliefs about death, dying and the afterlife, you know, I want to support you to continue to talk about those things. There's a myth that children recover quickly from grief. Well, you know, we we need to talk about it, right? As we said, we need to talk about it in order for them to recover and resolve their grief. We already talked about this. There's no orderly or predictable stage. Um, no two people are going to grieve the same way over the same exact thing. Children who experience bereavement will grow up to be maladjusted re- adults. Quite the contrary. Children who have healthy relationships with discussing their emotions and how they're feeling and their experiences will end up being more adjusted adults because they can talk about things and then children should not attend funerals obviously you need to make that decision for for your kids uh, and for the important kids around you but giving children an opportunity to participate or to not um to talk about it ahead of time like here's what you're going to see here's how everything's going to go and to help them understand that this is a choice that they can make and and shouldn't feel guilty about. There's research that argues that very young children, even if they don't have the language or memory uh, functions yet to articulate this, but they'll experience the death of someone close in a variety of physical and emotional ways. So they might not know how to talk about it or talk about what they're feeling or understand what they're feeling, but they're going to feel it. So during COVID for each death, we need to recognize that approximately nine family members are gonna be affected. Okay, so this is specific to to death deaths related to COVID. And what we're seeing is that there how somebody will respond can be looked at through the DSM or or the Diagnostic Statistical Manual and recognize that we have prolonged grief disorder and persistent complex bereavement disorder. And we need to understand that as we shared how close this person or figure or item was to you, whatever attachment you had to it, the closer the attachment, the different symptoms will come out. It is assumed that we've been experiencing collective grief and have been in mourning since quarantine has begun. And adolescents showed higher rates on outcomes compared to adults, except for intense grief reactions. So loneliness has been a common predictor across all different outcomes when uh, research has been done on grief and loss according to COVID times. So loneliness, like I said, is a, a common predictor across all psychiatric outcomes in adolescents and adults. And the higher number of hours per day spent on social media and higher number of hours exposure to media about COVID predicted some depression symptoms and suicidal ideations or behaviors and. Adolescence, so it's hard because we're recognizing that everything is social media, everything is internet, right? Especially right now, they're going to school online, um, they're getting some of their news online, and while we will want to recognize that screen time is not always the most amazing thing for kids. It's also a way for them to collaborate and connect with their peers in a way that keeps that connection while also keeping safe distance, right? So it's important that you talk to your kids about how much time they're spending on social media, what they're reading, have conversations about it and try to be open, right? Try to be open. So it's important that we, we, we definitely take these things into consideration. And then, you know, obviously there's been losses, other types of losses, losses of jobs connection with others so we need to be mindful that while death of course is that main thing that we think about with grief and and loss especially during covid that there's other losses that happen as well so what can we do here as i suggested or as i noted at the beginning i'm going to provide some resources because i found some really wonderful webinars not just for schools but for parents, um, resources for mental health professionals who are working through grief and bereavement with kids. But some ideas around what can we do in the schools, peer groups, I know we have a lot of times lunch buddy group, ways for you all to talk about topics um, to help support one another. It could be counseling if you have the time, including family or important adults is also important just in terms of problem solving. How do we manage this? or it could be a combination of these things. The treatment and interventions for children who are experiencing serious emotional and behavioral difficulties following a loss will be different from interventions offered to children who are coping more adequately. So we're gonna have to really get a sense for how many symptoms are they exhibiting? How are they responding to the loss? and then make our decisions based on that. Um, So doing some good analysis or assessment. Intervention activities are intended to help kids and help an individual by facilitating the various tasks of mourning. And that could be providing kids with and individuals with acceptable outlets for their feelings. How can they address their fears and concerns, helping them to get answers to their questions and helping counter misconceptions about death. So you can do art activities, drawing, any time of any type of creative art activity. You can do some writing, some narrative therapy, journaling, memory making, memory bookmaking, storytelling, any types of games. Engaging in play therapy usually helps kids become more open to having a conversation. Because children only cope as effectively as adults around them, the best way to support grieving children is to work with those adults, okay? So not just having these discussions in class about death and loss, you could connect to books, to assignments, to movies, but also working with those important adults in the life of the child. So maybe even finding out what is culturally appropriate within your family, how do you all talk about death and dying? And then obviously educating others, getting us to be more comfortable talking about these uncomfortable topics is a great start. What can we do at home? According to the CDC, it's important to acknowledge losses and feelings of grief. So finding ways to express grief and some individuals express grief and, and find comfort through art, gardening, writing, talking to friends or family, maybe cooking, music, all other things that could be viewed as creative. It's also in, important uh, on top of you know these open expressions and discussions of grief at home, watching movies or shows, and then having a conversation. We could also consider developing new rituals and daily routines, more so to stay connected with loved ones and to replace those that have not been lost. And I want to use a different word besides replace. So sorry, you saw me get taken aback right there, but and I I'd want us to acknowledge that we we shouldn't look to replace something because then what happens is we have expectations of the item or person or thing that we've lost. We have these expectations, and when we replace something, we have this sense that it's going to be exactly the same, and that's just setting ourselves up for failure. So, but what you might want to do with these rituals is to consider playing board games. Um, you might do some body movements together if you live live, alone or separated from loved ones. Consider interacting through phone calls, apps, allowing for playing games virtually. I know that certain video streaming services was having parties um, where you could be in watching the same thing at the same time with somebody and be able to see them and see their faces. If you're worried about future losses, try to stay in the present. Focus on aspects of your life that you can control in the moment. But also there's a plan, like develop a plan for school support, have conversations, engage with the school. Children spend a lot more time at school for most of their days. So they might know some of the signs that are out there for kids. Tips for guardians. As I've already noted, you know, we need to recognize and validate the loss. Try not to minimize it or use euphemisms or, or different phrases. Um, we need to call it what it is. Be present, be available, be open to having conversations, understanding that all behavior is communication. So whether or not they're being silent, that's communication. Okay, It's important that we try to find structure and routine. Routine is really where children thrive and where we thrive as well. Challenge to keep things as normal as possible. So You know, just because we're not in school every day doesn't mean we don't do our schoolwork, doesn't mean we don't do our chores. Okay. be patient. Be really patient with your kids. Think about how hard it was for you to get to a place where you could talk about grief and loss and then recognize that these are also children. Help your kids find ways to connect to others. I think that that has been the biggest thing. Help them connect to you right? Physical contact, as long as it's safe. And then you need to take good care of yourself as well. We're all managing so many different life tasks right now and stressors. And it's important that we take care of ourselves so that we can take care of others. We can't pour from an empty cup. The other thing, so for counselors... There is complicated grief therapy that you can look up, but this looks at the loss and restoration focus that we saw previously from the dual process model. The focus, the loss focus of complicated grief therapy requires accepting grief's reality and the changed relationship with whatever was lost. The restoration focus requires rehabilitated sense of autonomy, capability, empathy in the changing world. In addition, it's important to note that close relationships are unique and so too is each person's grief. Loss of something that was loved is complex and profound and that brings about many associated changes in physical, psychological, and social aspects. So there are seven core themes that are listed above on the slide about complicated grief theory and therapy. So just become a little bit familiar with those and how you might do those things. As stated earlier, narrative therapy, art therapy, some sort of creative arts can also be helpful. Now there are some resources available um, and I will send these But what I've found here, and I'll attach the the PowerPoint, and you should be able to get a copy of it. But some of these are webinars on how to do certain things. There is one that is paid, the service delivery webinar. Um, And so what you'll see are resources for at home. Well, I'll start from the left at school at home, and then for counselors, mental health professionals. There are tons more resources and webinars that you can watch, but I will provide that information for you all. I really do appreciate and thank you all for giving me the space to talk about grief and loss and how we can look towards helping and supporting children in schools, our colleagues, our friends, our family members, as we're all being impacted by this pandemic. So please recognize that it's okay to talk about grief. It's okay to talk about death. It's okay to talk about loss. It's okay for us to express those emotions. And the more we do this, the more open we are about grief, death, and loss, the easier it will be for our kids to navigate these life experiences and these life processes. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks for listening. To find more content like this and see the video version of these webinars, please see the links in the description below. If you like this one, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.